Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlay, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, June the 18th. Hope everybody's doing well on this Father's Day 2017. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsamorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can check out the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If I'm not on one, let me know. I'll try to get on that. ASAP. Great show today. Uh, the draft was this week. As promised, I was going to try to get you some draft content. And I have uh, Jonathan Mayo from MLB.com, MLBpipeline.com, pretty much the authority of prospects and draft affiliated with Major League Baseball. And uh, I think it's the first time I've had Jonathan on the podcast. And he was kind enough after a busy week to give me a few minutes uh, yesterday. 
actually, ironically, uh, while he's watching his son's youth league games. So <laughs> Jonathan on Father's Day weekend doing a spot on prospects, watching his son, and uh, we're kind of grateful. So uh, in just a couple of minutes, you'll hear from Jonathan Mayo as the uh, the Mets selected a big left-hander, David Peterson, in the first round, and maybe an interesting future prospect in Mark Vientos in uh, the second round. And if you believe the narrative, the Mets select the next uh, Madison Bumgarner and, uh, Clay, uh, and Manny Machado which is our buddy Joe Giglio uh, put over at NJ Advanced Media. And I'm sure that – I don't think he wrote the headline, but whoever did I think was just trying to get a few clicks on that one because if they become 20% of that, I think uh, the Mets did pretty well. I wouldn't be banking on Machado and Bumgarner just quite yet. But before I get to Mayo, uh, I think we have to start with the big league club. And if you looked at last week and you listened to the podcast last week, I laid out probably an optimistic time frame or pathway to this team getting to 500 and being able to have some sort of second half, a credible second half where you could actually say, hey, this team has a chance to compete and make a wild card. And earlier in the week, it actually looked pretty good after taking two or three from the world champion Cubs. Pretty ugly second game. With Zach Wheeler on the mound, uh, Matt Harvey news came out in the third game, but the Mets were resilient, came back late against the Cubs' bullpen. The offense uh, uh, all year really has not been the problem. It's been the pitching. It's been the bullpen. And, um, you know, they get into the Washington series, and I have to tell you, it's just really, ever since the Mets beat the Nats six times in that final two months of 2015, it's almost like the Nats have held his vendetta and said, that's never going to happen again. And yet part of it is Daniel Murphy, and I'm sure Daniel Murphy really gets jazzed up to play his former club. But I think a lot of it has to do with the mindset of the entire team in the club because the change of leadership of Dusty Baker. And the biggest difference with both these teams, it's very uh, clear to me, is that Dusty Baker goes out there and pushes his club to, to, to jump on and set the tone in these series. You know, he expects them to win. He expects them to take this division. Well, the guy across in the other dugout, you know, the, the, the MVP manager at one point when the team was losing 85 games, actually a scout called him the MVP of the team for keeping the team together. And the guy that, you know, constantly gets lauded for lifetime achievement awards, he's like, well, we'll see, we'll compete, you know, it's a long season, all you keep hearing, and these Wayne Randazzo interviews are chock full of little bits, if you really listen. I mean, they're actually starting to be in the pregame. If you're in the car or you want to listen to the radio, if you can get the manager, he, he, he lets down his hair a little bit and throws these little things in here that I don't think he does on camera. And he reveals to you who he really is, which is pretty scary, because today... The comment that basically here now, this and I'll give you right now the Mets, despite a nice win today, Jacob Degrom on Father's Day, his second consecutive solid outing, hits a home run. Mets are ten and a half out of the division. They were eleven and a half out coming into today. They're twelve out, eleven in the lost column of the wild card. They're actually further back of the wild card than the manager. Fangraph says they have a five percent chance of playing in the playoffs this year. 
five to seven percent, depending on what the metrics are. And the manager has the gall to tell Wayne Randazzo today, the only people that think the sky is falling are the media. The same media that does nothing to keep him accountable. Nothing. They don't push him. You know, maybe you have a Kernan or a Clappish, guys like that, Vicaro. They'll write, those are not beat writers, by the way. Those are columnists who show up to the ballpark, so it's not like they're hiding. They're there at the ballpark, but they're not there all the time. They're, they're writing about all sports, but Kernan typically covers both baseball teams and is really a baseball guy. Sherman, guys like that, baseball guys. Vicaro bounces around and does other sports. You know, this is a media that's been soft on him. And the fact that he doesn't see a sense of urgency here on June 18th with his team double digits out in the wild card of the division is amazingly, amazingly a situation of lack of self-awareness. It's amazingly, it lacks amazing self-awareness. And if you read Bob Klapish's column over in the record earlier today, there was a comment by Klapish. And, it, and it's amazing that it's about Seth Lugo, because Seth Lugo was also on one of these Randazzo pregame bits after he pitched very well last Sunday. I think it was Monday or Tuesday that he was on with Randazzo on WOR. And he talked about the energy level uh, and how when he came in a couple of days before Cespedes came back, the energy level wasn't so great, and then Cespedes elevated it. And I'm saying to myself, yeah, I get Cespedes being out. He's a big part of the team. I could see him changing with his personality, maybe the dynamic in the clubhouse. But energy level, to me, that starts with the manager. And that starts in spring training, and that starts off the bat. And I'm sorry, this team's energy level for two freaking years has been, eh, we'll get to it. It's very, you know, eh, we win today, win today, we lose today, we lose today. We'll kick it into gear when the time is right. The manager's like, we'll be there in the end. And even in the beginning of the year, I remember there was a Conforto clip. I wish I could find it. Uh, it might have been on one of those Mets SNY shows where Conforto's basically saying, hey, we, we know we're going to be there in the end. We're not really worried about what the record says, what things are you know going on now. We'll be there in the end. Well, no, that's not the way this works. Because you know what? The Washington Nationals have a lot to say about that. The Arizona Diamondbacks have a lot to say about that. The Colorado Rockies have a lot to say about that. The Milwaukee Brewers have something to say about that. Eventually, the Cubs, you've got to think, are going to kick it into gear. And the Cubs are fortunate because they're in a division which is played back. So they can figure things out with whatever's going on over there. Mets don't have that luxury this year. They had that luxury in 2015. They had that luxury in 2016. And when you start to boil it down, and I'm not going to make this entire show about this because I know you want to hear from Jonathan Mayo and you want to hear about the, uh, uh, the prospects and, 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 and the draft. The bottom line is this, is that this manager has had exactly two runs an entire time he's been here. 2015, it started August 1st until November. That's exactly a 12-week run. And last year, it was about a six-week run. You're looking about it 18 weeks, 18 weeks since the 2011 season when he took over that they have played acceptable baseball. 18 weeks. And it's not always about injuries, and it's not always about being shorthanded. It's about the tone set, about the bullpen management, about holding people accountable, about understanding the kind of club that you have and pushing them to exceed expectations. This team has, other than 2015, and that was after August 1st, has never, never, never exceeded expectations under this manager. 
And if you continue to read Jill Sherman today, 538, and I think it, there's all sorts of metrics that, that are thrown out there. This is one of the top five regressions in starting staffs all time. And this other guy, the pitching coach, that has zero resume coming into this job in 2008, yeah, let's keep him around. So what I've been saying since 2011, that these two gentlemen are going to destroy this team when things get, get good, they've destroyed it. And yeah, I get it. Oh, Familia. Oh, Syndergaard. Oh, Cespedes. Guys, that's still. That's how, I, how much I think this team has some good players. Yeah, the defense is a little shaky. Yeah, the bullpen, which I think a lot had to do with the starting rotation, not being prepared and, and coming out of spring training unprepared had that ripple effect for the bullpen because I still think there's some good arms out there. It's all turned to crap, guys. All turned to crap. There's no reason why they should be 31-37. They should at least be five to six games better. And that would still put them on the fringes, but they'd still be a better conversation right now. Totally unacceptable. And if you read Klappish's column, and he writes here, let me read this verbatim. Despite putting the Mets in a 4 nothing deficit, Lugo, that means Seth Lugo, was convinced he'd thrown well. That is, except for two pitches, a first pitch fastball that a Jose Lobatone crushed over the wall in right center in the second inning, and a hanging slider that Daniel Murphy wrapped into the right field corner for an RBI double in the third. Otherwise, Lugo just seemed fine with the results since, quote-unquote, we had a chance to come back in the later innings. Whoever manages the Mets in 2018 will need to remind nice guys like Lugo that in games such as Saturdays with the Mets teetering on invisibility and facing an elite hurler like Steven Strasburg, more is expected than avoiding getting blown out. And that, my friends, is on the manager, on the pitching coach, on the culture, and that is exactly what you've been dealing with, and that is the mindset of a Terry Collins since 2011. He's never gotten over being the little engine that could. Once you went a pennant, once you went to the World Series, stuff changed. But he didn't change. Okay, expectations raised. There was no more innocent climbs. There was no more, eh, you know, what do you expect Terry to do? You know, he doesn't have weapons. They went into the deep end of the pool, and this manager never pushed them. He still has them waiting around with floaties. Eh, take them off when, it, you know, when, the, when the, it's not so rough the water. No. That's not the way this works. And now they've pissed away a window of opportunity season. They pissed it away because they're not, listen, they're not making the playoffs. Forget that. And if you're going to come and you think you're going to come into this podcast and get me to find every week the most optimistic path to prosperity, then turn it off. Don't download it. Go away. And I don't care if you go away because I'm not going to lie to you. Go to those other guys on SNY. They'll give you some, they, you know, they'll talk about, they'll talk about the, uh, the crowns and whatever, you know, you know the, the beat writers tweeting pictures of themselves on Space Mountain. Nobody's taking this seriously. You know, I've never seen anything like this, I've got to tell you. Professional writers clowning around on Twitter, taking selfies, putting videos out during rain delays, not asking any tough questions, not doing any journalism. It's amazing to me. It's all big one friggin' joke for everybody. Maybe it's the millennial... Uh, 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 Influence because I, I can't figure it out. This is one big friggin' joke to everybody because everybody's sitting around thinking that all of a sudden, oh, tomorrow's the day they're going to wrap off 10 out of 11. It's not happening. 
And I'm going to go back because I'm going to do the same tough medicine that I did with the Yankees fans back on ESPN Radio a few years back. I remember it was a Saturday morning. The Yankees were starting to make a run there in 2013 for the wild card. And I remember sitting down doing the math and saying the, 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 the level of play that the Yankees needed to be at over the final month is a standard that they've never hit all year. What makes you think all of a sudden it's going to change? Right now, the Mets, to hit that goal that I set just a week ago of 44 and 43, which is no great shakes, they'd have to play 684 baseball. They've got to win 13 of their next, their next 19, which includes going to L.A., San Francisco, Washington, St. Louis, and Miami. Those are tough road games. So off the bat, they ain't going to do it. And forget about home. They don't play well at City Field. Yeah, they have the Phillies. Guarantee you there'll be something that'll happen in one of those games. And probably the manager making some kind of silly move. Because he'll take those kind of games off. Those are when he tries to tinker with you know, bringing Neil Ramirez in in a big spot. So, anyway. I'm not going to rant and rave about this manager anymore. All I'm going to tell you is this. Same thing I told Yankee fans back in 2013 when I was on that Saturday morning ESPN radio show. You're not making the playoffs. There's no path to the playoffs. I don't care if there's, you know, 60% of the season left or whatever it is. It's not happening. There is no benchmark here. There is no sample size that tells you that this team can play 684 baseball between now and the All-Star break. And 611 baseball, by the way, to just just win 85 games, which ain't going to get you into the playoffs, even if Arizona, who doesn't really play as well on the road as they do at home, comes back to earth. The Mets have let 2017 get away. And now the question's going to be, can they use some of the impending free agents and trade these, so, these free agents to get component, at the very least component pieces, that will help them retool, and then next year coming out of spring training with hopefully a new manager and a pitching coach and maybe a more structured, prepared pitching staff and maybe a manager that will kick somebody in the rear end and say, we're out here to win and compete instead of always taking a a, a one-two punch from Dusty Baker. Maybe then we could have a different conversation because as long as this guy is managing the team and as long as the other guy is the pitching coach, the garbage that you see is the garbage you're going to get. And if you don't believe that's the case, you ain't paying attention. You ain't paying attention. The manager refuses to hold anybody accountable. He refuses to kick anyone in the rear end. The pitching coach is lost. I don't think he has any idea what he's doing. Oh, I keep hearing, oh, Matt Harvey looked great in warm-ups. What, all of a sudden the game, within a matter of 15 minutes, his fastball is 89 miles an hour? Either you're lying or you're incompetent. And you want to know something? I think it's a little bit of both with both these guys. I think it's a little bit of both. And the only other thing I'll give you guys, something to chew on with the whole Matt Harvey thing, and this is kind of a a secondary piece to everything, if Matt Harvey in his arc, in his career, and where it is now, and it's very difficult once shoulders start to become a problem, Shoulders are a lot different than elbows. It's one thing to have Tommy John surgery. In some ways, it's, it's, it's like a big old oil change. It's, I know it's more serious than that, but it's a lot more, it's, there's a lot more certainty to come back from Tommy John surgery 
shoulders create a whole other issue. You saw what happened with Johan Santana. Once you get a shoulder issue, you have you have to change who you are. Your velocity is diminished. Uh, he'll never be the quote-unquote dark knight. And the point here is you always go for it. At the very least, in 2015, they didn't shut him down. They didn't say wait till next year. They went for it. And that was, you know, maybe that's that, – and I don't think that had anything to do with why Matt Harvey's where he's at. I don't think there's any medical evidence. I think this is just stuff that would have happened any, anyway. The thoracic outlet situation. The Mets went for it. They fell short, but they went for it because if they didn't and they held on to him and said, let's hold him back and we'll, we'll be there next year. Look at what next year would have brought. Anyway, uh, let's take a break. When we return, Jonathan Mayo, MLB.com will be joining me. We'll talk about the draft, the Mets picks. Are there any sleepers in the bunch? What do you think of the Mets draft? Bunch of questions. Let's see if Jonathan Mayo at MLB.com has the answer. We'll be back with Jonathan Mayo, MLB.com, right after this. Swing and a miss, strike three. David Peterson, when he pitches, Oregon typically wins. When you look around the country, there's a lot of people talking about David Peterson being the best pitcher in the country. The question is, why? What makes him so good? Here's the thing with him. First of all, his fastball has a ton of movement. The second thing is, I think he's one of the smartest pitchers in the country. He really knows how to set up a hitter, and you can see it with all of his strikeouts. He has been fantastic all season. Swung on and missed. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Back to back to back. Swinging strikeouts. Strike three calls. Strike three swinging. He strikes out the side. David Peterson is dealing. What a pitch on the inside corner. The one-two. Swing and a miss. Strike three. 20 strikeouts for David Peterson. Complete game shutout. With the 20th selection of the 2017 MLB draft, the New York Mets select David Peterson. We're back, and you guys know our next guest, Jonathan Mayo. He covers the draft and the minors for MLB.com and MLBPipeline.com, at Jonathan Mayo on Twitter, and he's joining us now. Jonathan, uh, this is the crazy week, I guess, that you build up to as you cover prospects and the draft and what have you, so it's winding down. I know there's still some signability type of news and what have you, but uh, crazy week for you, huh? Uh, it is uh, it is by far the craziest week in my life every year, but I love it. Uh, I do want to you know slip into a small coma when it's all when it's all said and done. But uh, overall, uh, I, I love this time of year. And you know we cover the Mets over here, and uh, obviously New Yorkers are very passionate uh, about the draft. It's a, a big part of the media here. Uh, always looking towards the future, and uh, it's not there's no shortage of narrative. So I'll throw you the narrative that's running around over here. Uh, with uh, both the Mets' first and second-round pick. Uh, you got David Peterson from Oregon, lefty pitcher. Mark Vientos, a high school kid, third baseman uh, down in Florida. And it's like, well, did the Mets draft the next Madison Bumgarner and, and Manny Machado? Obviously, that's the narrative. Maybe if they're 20% or 30% of that, I bet you the Mets did pretty well. Yeah, no pressure there, right, uh, in, in, in terms of expectations. 
Um, I, I think you may have a better chance of Vientos being Machado than, uh, than Peterson being Bumgarner, but you never know. I mean, I, I, I like what they did with their first two picks. It was kind of a nice mix. You know, Peterson is a guy who just flat out pitched his way into consideration for the middle of the, of the first round. Um, uh, you know, this year was not necessarily a guy coming into the spring that you would have thought it was a surefire first rounder, but he, he just threw exceedingly well. And the, the big thing that came for him from his time as high school is his command. Uh, and they preach command in Oregon and uh, he, he commands the baseball. The delivery is a little funky. Not everyone loves it, uh, but he showed the ability to throw three pitches for strikes and, and, and put it where he wants. So I, you know, I, I think he's got a chance uh, to, to move relatively quickly. Now Vientos is a guy who entering the spring uh, or you know, even over the summer, he's sort of a famous name. Uh, it was a guy that a lot of people saw as maybe even a top of the first round kind of high school talent. And he didn't go out and, and perform, <clears throat> excuse me, didn't go out and perform quite as hoped. Um, but there are some tools there. Uh, you know, there's bat speed. I think there's some power to grow into. He, he's, you know, he's not a great runner, uh, but I think he's athletic enough where third base, uh, he's going to look really good there. He played shortstop in high school. Um, I would move him to third immediately and, and let him get comfortable there. And I think, uh, I think he has the profile that could, could work really well for, for that position. I have with me Jonathan Mayo. You guys know him over at MLB.com, covers the, uh, the draft prospects. The new collective bargaining agreement may have come into play here for the Mets. Uh, at least that's what they're saying. They drafted seven out of their first ten picks college pitchers. Um, is that something that you agree with? Is, I mean, they say the draft board fell that way, but they, they, they cited the collective bargaining agreement and obviously signability and, and the cap and things like that. Uh, is that a trend that you saw, uh, not just for the Mets, but in general, that the, the draft changed a little bit because of the new CBA? Well, I mean, I think the you know college pitching always you know kind of filters filters up you know uh, at when the draft comes. So yes, of course, signability does figure into things uh, somewhat. Uh, my guess is they will have to go above pick value for Vientos. Um, their draft pool and without having extra picks, uh, it was not huge. Uh, and I think it all depends on how you want to try to manipulate uh, that pool. Um, I, you know, uh, I don't know if they had some guys later that they went after aggressively, um, you know, or even post 10th round, you know, anything over $125,000 after the 10th round counts towards the pool. Uh, so that's maybe why they, they, they went heavily after college pitching. But uh, there is some truth to the fact that I think, you know, there was some good depth in this class, if not, you know, high-end impact talent. So, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if it was a combination of those factors that I think that there probably was, like throughout day two of the draft, uh, a good amount of college pitching to, to be considered, uh, even as the best available guy on the board. And what's interesting is that a lot of the pitchers, and I'll throw some names at you here, were, were basically drafted, and it looks like they'll be relievers. I mean, other than Marcel Renteria and Connor O'Neill, who they said they'll probably start out in a, in a starter role, uh, guys like Tony DeBrell, um, Trey Cobb, Cannon Chadwick, uh, uh, Stephen Villanis, uh, all relievers. You got, I wonder, and thought, thoughts on this, maybe because they're still in a, a window of contention, they may be using those seven, eight, nine picks to potentially fill a bullpen spot. Uh, obviously something they're struggling with now, and they've struggled with for a couple of years, and, and bullpen arms can get expensive, and maybe you, you catch lightning in a bottle. It, it has happened before uh, to other teams. 
Sure. And, and you know what? I think we live uh, it's in an era right now where uh, the bullpen, I mean, bullpen's always been important, um, but I think it's taken on even more importance uh, where if you can get viable options for your sixth, seventh, eighth inning, forget about closing. And if you find a closer in the sixth through 10th round, then you've really uh, won the lottery. But, um, you know, <laughs> your starting pitcher needs to go five, six innings now. Uh, I'm not saying that you stop trying to develop starters. I think you should. But if you're trying to find value in those you know, middle rounds of sixth through 10th or even beyond the 10th, um, why not pick a guy with arm strength or a guy with, a, you know, a, a, an above average slider, something that you think might work and work quickly and, and be a guy that gets there quickly uh, or at the very least provides, you know, a trade chip uh, later on. I, I think the, the value of those bullpen arms ha- has increased uh, somewhat exponentially. John DeMeo, MLB.com, uh, joining me here. A couple of Stanford outfielders, don't know how much you know about them. Quinn Brody and uh, Matt Winokur, uh were drafted three and five by the Mets. Uh, obviously, the first ten picks is the ones that everybody kind of focuses on. You know anything about those guys? And again, more college players and maybe guys that could potentially move through the system a little bit quicker. Right, they definitely went. I mean, a lot of people were wondering what would happen in the drafts, you know, without Paul D. Podesta there. Um, and I was of the mind that they would probably keep to the same philosophy. Sandy Alderson is is still there, so there's going to be a certain emphasis on performance. Uh, Brody is a guy who has a pretty good track record uh, of performing, um, had a good Cape Cod league, and that kind of put him more on the map, and then didn't perform this spring quite as well as he did um, over the summer. But, you know, there are a lot of teams that – give the Cape Cod league a lot of extra weight, you know, it's hitting with wood. It's against good competition. Um, he, he seems more like a fourth outfielder to me uh, when all said and done, but you know, you have to wait and see uh, how, how the skills translate to playing every day with wood in his hands again. Um, but uh, he probably, uh, probably is more of a corner guy, maybe a left fielder. And then there's a little more pressure on the bat. You know, if you think he can play up the middle, great. But I think he's the kind of guy that you send out, have him play all three outfield positions. And, uh, again, that has that has some, some value for sure. Over the last uh, few years, the Mets obviously uh, have benefited some from Omar Minaya and his team and the drafts that, that they had. Uh, there's been some criticism of Sandy Olison. They are starting to see some of the players from both the international and the draft side pay dividends. How have you felt the Mets have done? And you mentioned Paul DePodesta. He's no longer with them over the last two to three years um, in terms of restocking their farm system. And it's become a little barren, and that's a lot to do with just promotions. But do you feel that they've taken the momentum that, in a lot of ways, Manaya left them, maybe you know, luckily so, and, and built upon that? And, and how do you see them, how they did overall, just, I guess, a little bit overall grade in this draft? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the one problem you have is that it, it's really, really hard, and I know we do it all the time, to truly get a sense of how successful a draft or an international signing period was until those guys get to the big leagues uh, or don't. You know, it, it, you know, so it's kind of an incomplete grade. Um, I think there's always a danger when, you know, you want to focus on uh, performance guys that, uh, you know, you, you do, I think you need to take some risk. Now, they, they've they took a good amount of high school players. Uh, they liked high school bats, you know, for several years in a row. 
And even if their farm system is not quite as rich as it maybe was when all the big arms were about to come up, you know, when they made the trades with Toronto and, and, and whatnot, but you still have Dom Smith and Ahmed Rosario uh, sitting there in AAA, really young for their level, both with the chance to be impact players. Uh, you know, when you start with that, then I, I think, you know, you're off to a good start. I like Justin Dunn. Uh, I think he has a chance to be really good. Um, so, uh, you know, again, so that's why where I kind of give that incomplete grade uh, in terms of well, he's just getting started. You have to sort of wait and see what he becomes. He, you know, they don't have any of those guys who are going to jump to the big leagues in a year, um, but that's fine. That's to me, that's, that's rare. Uh, we've had some guys do that. And I think that raises the bar somewhat unfairly for, for the rest of any draft class. I know you covered all 30 teams, but is there anybody from this draft class, uh, you know, maybe a sleeper that the Mets picked or someone that you really liked? Uh, obviously there's the first two guys we talked about. Is there anybody that, you know, comes to mind when you, when you think about the Mets draft and said, you know, that's a guy that no one's really talking about. And maybe, maybe I'm going to keep an eye on him over the next couple of years. Not, not really. I mean, I like what they did up top, you know, uh, the Peterson and Vientos uh, duel, the rest of the guys, none of them jump out at me as that, Oh, we need to keep an eye on them. They didn't, they didn't go after a high school guy later. Um, there wasn't a college guy uh, that, that really screams to me like, Oh, right. He, he's got more upside than you would think. Um, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be uh, they're not going to be big leaguers, but I think they're you know it, it it doesn't jump out to me as as a as a draft where like wow they really really did well I uh, like their first two picks and then after that we're just going to have to see how those college guys go out and perform to to form a, a, a conclusion. You don't like Edgardo Alfonso's son at uh, number thirty nine. <laughs> those are those. Two Why not those uh, those. You know what? Listen, they did it for John Franco's kid. A lot of times, I think the fans forget. I think sometimes they do that to help these kids get scholarships and whatnot. I, it's sometimes the end of the draft is more about politics, and I think we, you know, the fans forget about that than necessarily, hey, I'm drafting this you know, kid for... Yeah, I mean... Right, right. And you know, because the draft's only 40 rounds now, you're just as likely to sign a guy like a, a college senior to as a minor league free agent who will be just as valuable as the guy you draft in the 40th round. Sometimes you take a guy late, even though you know he's going to go on to school, just to form the relationship. Um, I mean, look, the Braves drafted Kyle Wright three years ago out of high school, uh, and everyone knew he was going to Vanderbilt. They knew they weren't going to sign him, but uh, that gave him much more comfort level in talking to him to, to take him in the first round. So sometimes it's about that, and sometimes it's a, you know, a favor pick. But, hey, Mike Piazza was a favor pick, so uh, you just never know. Uh, before I let you go, so what do you got coming up? Obviously, you're coming out of the crazy week of the draft. Uh, I know you're watching some youth baseball this weekend. Uh, you're actually at the game now. <laughs> uh, what's, coming up? what's coming up with Jonathan Mayo that we can let the listeners know about? Yeah, outside of watching my, my son, who is uh, class of 2019, I don't think we'll hear his name called, however, but a uh, uh, little bit of rest, and then we'll jump right into futures game coverage. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll start uh, talking about and forming those rosters for the futures game. Uh, so that's probably next up. And then late July, you know, in addition to the trade deadline stuff, we, we will re-rank all of our lists. That's our top 100 prospect list and the top 30 by team lists. Um, and I do the Mets top 30. So I, you know, what that entails is taking all these draftees after they've signed, figuring out where they figure into the new list, any international signees from July, the new July 2nd international period. Uh, and uh, so we'll be coming out with that 
if it, if it goes according to plan, it'll probably be right before the trading deadline. So there's a little bit more sort of up-to-date context uh, of the list. So if prospects get traded, you have a sense of who they are and, and how good they are. And who knows, maybe Ahmed Razar will be called up by then. That's always the big uh, question around here. When will he get called up? And uh, uh, obviously you've, you've liked him, and uh, it'll be interesting when you do come up with that list if he'll still be considered – he will be considered a prospect, but he very well may be in the big leagues by then. Well, you know, I think there's, uh, there's a good chance of it. There certainly seems to be opportunity. I don't think he's got a whole lot left uh, to, to, to do in AAA, but you have to keep in mind that he is incredibly young. Um, you know, the amount of at-bats that he's had and reps that he's had, it's a good amount, but he's moved so quickly um, that uh, I, there's no need to, to, to really rush him. I think he, they want to make sure that when he gets up, He's ready and he stays. Now, I think he's the kind of kid that even if he experiences some failure, he's going to be just fine. But uh, I think they'd like to try to avoid that if they can. Listen, happy Father's Day. Go enjoy your son's game. Enjoy baseball just for baseball. Forget about the rankings. Forget about the, uh, the signability. <laughs> and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And I really thank you for spending some time today. All righty? Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. That's Jonathan Mayo, MLB.com. MLBpipeline.com. Obviously, he's covering 30 teams and hard to really hone in. And look, like I always say, would anybody back in, you know, the Mania era pay attention to Jacob deGrom as a draft pick? You don't. We talked about Matt Harvey and and first-round picks and and things of that nature. And and we spend so much time now on this stuff because of social media, because of shows like this, because of niche blogs. And and everybody kind of wants niche content that this stuff gets so much more attention than it ever did. I don't remember. When I was young, early 90s, even late 90s, when the internet was around, never paid attention to the draft. Never. I think the only draft, the only reason anyone paid attention to the draft, maybe early 90s, was when Preston Wilson, Mookie Wilson's stepson, was was drafted. And he turned out to be a big piece for the Mets in acquiring Mike Piazza. So a lot of things have changed. Hey, let's take a quick break. Uh, When I return, we'll wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMarizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and uh, you can leave me a review on iTunes. You get the show there, SoundCloud, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back with final thoughts right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Final thoughts here on this Father's Day. Hope everybody's having a great Father's Day. Uh, Weather wasn't great, got better as the day went on, so hopefully it was very hot. But hopefully wherever you were or wherever you are or whatever you did and were doing, yeah, it was fun. 
Uh, listening to Jonathan Mayo, I, I don't think he – and let's be fair. I mean, I, I'm getting the guy kind of you know, 10, 12 minutes out of him trying to get a feel of the Mets. He, he was covering the entire draft, so the micro focus not, might not necessarily be there. But I think he gave you a pretty fair assessment. And what we've heard, even John Harper wrote about it in the Daily News about Vientos um, and kind of somewhat of a sleeper in the second round, a guy that was thought to be a, a first-round pick and, and he fell to the second, has a lot of – uh, potential, had a bad spring. We'll see what happens. Peterson is a guy. I mean, I've heard comparisons where, you know, okay, he's tall and maybe he has the upside of a of a big lefty like a Madison Bumgarner, and then you hear Brett Anderson, which isn't all that great of a great shake. That's a league average, below league average pitcher. So, And, uh, you know, picking seven of ten college arms, uh, who knows what that means. It's, it's clearly part of that has to do with signability and the cap and the budget and the Mets have always traditionally never really, and now there's a lot of penalties for that. And if you ask me to explain the whole CBA, forget it. I don't have it in front of me, and I'm, I'm not an expert here. And I think at this point, uh, short of a lawyer from MLB.com, I don't know if any writer has it perfect because uh, it's, it's somewhat of a convoluted, I think, situation scenario, especially when it comes to the draft. Uh, and essentially it's just trying to prevent the richest teams just to continue to sign and and churn out a pipeline. Uh, they have to work a little bit for it, and, and you can see that a little bit with how the draft went. I think the Mets are just trying to bank on some of these relievers being able to help them within the next year, year and a half, because you can see uh, relievers go down, and, and you know sometimes uh, they're also very expensive to sign to multi-year deals in the offseason, and you could use them. I mean, whether it's uh, Paul Seawall type or a middle reliever, the Mets could definitely use better arms. Uh, they got a little thin in that sense from the farm system. I mean, the fact that Neil Ramirez is still on the roster to me is amazing. So uh, that's what the, uh, you know, that's really all that, you know, when it comes to any of these guys helping out. I don't know if they can. Uh, at the very least, it's got to be better than some of the options that they've been churning out this year. And, and I think as they build and they look towards next year, and I think that's going to be, like I said earlier in the program, a theme of this podcast. I have no intention here. Uh, of trying to pretend that there's a pennant race when there's not. And it's listen, it's my my job and my responsibility to continue to entertain you and inform you and make this podcast interesting and worthwhile downloading and fun. I don't know if I can do that talking about this current team very much more because if you look, you have the, the drive to the All-Star break, which to me really was dampened by the play this week. You have the trading deadline, which that probably will get interesting because we'll hear a lot of rumors and potentially the Mets trading off some of their free agents. Maybe they can get some interesting component players. I don't know if they can get stars. We'll see. Jay Bruce might be an interesting uh, name and play, depending on a team, how desperate they are for offense and power, uh, what the Mets could potentially garner from trading a Jay Bruce. But that's it. And then after that, it's pretty much uh, meaningless games in August and September. And we've had quite a few of those scenarios in these parts over the last... 10 years, unfortunately, and um, it's unfortunate that this season is probably going to yield something similar. But I will tell you, I don't want to hear about why this manager and this pitching coach needs another chance, and God help, they come. Let me tell you, that it show will be interesting. The day that they announce that they're bringing the coaching staff back, uh, to me, there'd have to be a lot of explaining, a lot of questions answered by Sandy Alderson about that, because then that, after the trading deadline, that's the next thing. When are we getting rid of the manager, and who potentially could be the next manager of the New York Mets, and can they bring a better level of accountability and fire and energy to this team 
which I think is sorely lacking. And can they get a pitching coach in here that knows what he's doing? Because this guy doesn't. And you know, and that's really I got to be be frank with you guys. I got it out when I read some of the quotes today. I was really fired up. I wanted to get that into this program, and I really don't want to make every podcast about this. It's just it just it's so disappointing. I don't want to talk about it. I was hoping that I didn't have to talk about it, but every week something new comes out, and nobody talks about it. So I find it to be my responsibility to uh, at least give you something that I think should be talked about and should be more prevalent and more discussed when it comes to the Mets in uh, the mainstream media. We're out of time. I want to thank Jonathan Mayo. You can check him out at Jonathan Mayo on Twitter. And check him out at MLB.com, MLBpipeline.com. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsmarizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Leave me a review on iTunes. And you can check me out on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Happy Father's Day. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I will see you next week. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.